This is the call for freedom. This is the call for your truest, most authentic self to step forward. This is the call to turn inward and face the darkness and the light that lives within. You're listening to the Divinity Unbridled Podcast, and I'm your host, Hannah Rose Childs. My mission is to awaken and inspire your truth from within. I'm bringing you real, unfiltered access to the cosmos and the underworld to the sacred union of the divine feminine and the divine masculine, and to the pathway home to the fullest parts of your soul. Get ready to go deep. Get ready to ignite your internal fire. Get ready to unleash your fullest self. It's time to step into the truth of who you are. I see you, and your soul is beaming. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the Divinity Unbridled podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Rose Childs, and I am so excited to be here today with my inaugural guest. She joins me with almost 40 years of experience as a doctor of homeopathy and oriental medicine. She is a licensed acupuncturist, holistic health practitioner, and massage therapist. She is also the author of Natural Medicine for Families and Children and Pediatric Pearls of Wisdom. She is devoted to living her life from the inside out and began her quest for truth in her early childhood years. She is the most inspiring woman I know, and most importantly, she is my amazing mama. I'm thrilled to welcome my mom, Lori Cunahan Childs. Hi. Hi, mama. <laughs> oh, she's crying already. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for being my first guest. You were the top of my list when I got the call to start this podcast, um, mostly because you have helped guide me to the place I'm at and you are so wise and I thought you could really be a great kickoff to start this podcast that is really about living from the inside out. It's not about seeking authority from other people or other faiths or religions. It's really about discovering the truth from within. And so I'd love to hear how that started for you because it obviously, I know it started as, at an early age, this sort of quest for something greater than yourself? I think from my first memory, I've been on that quest for truth and for meaning, the meaning of life and, and my purpose in life. Uh, I grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I was very wanted. Uh, it took my parents nine years to have me. And I was a really happy child. And um, as I look back on photographs of myself, I could see where my life changed. And uh, kindergarten, happy, excited to get out in the world, started Catholic school, and everything in me compressed. And as I see, again, photographs of myself, um, I feel like I invested in a belief system that served me well, as I look back on it, but I was guided through a system that was... Uh, from outside authority figures, and it didn't fit. And I remember second grade asking the priest questions, and he finally stopped even calling on me because he couldn't answer my questions. And, and then I was uh, played piano, so I played the organ during church, and I also played guitar when they switched over to guitar masses. 
and I was uh, wanted to be a priest, really, and I couldn't because I was a girl, and I would weep in front of the Stations of the Cross, and I had altars in my room where I would pray, just desperately praying, and I would wanted to be an altar boy, and I couldn't be an altar boy because I was a girl, so I would ask to clean the altar boy's room, and I would sneak into the room, and I'd put on their clothes. And, and again, the whole priest thing, I would tell them I had to practice the organ, and I would sneak into the sacristy, and I pulled out the vestments, and I pulled out the chalice, and I pretended to say mass as my heart was beating and thinking, mortal sin. You know, if the, if the priest walks in and sees me, it's like I'm going to hell. But I couldn't stop myself. And uh, I think that really propelled me. In, in Chinese medicine, they say that girls grow in seven-year cycles and boys grow in eight-year cycles. And I could see that exactly in my life, that first uh, when I was born through seven, and then seven through 14, I was in this system. And then 14, you know, the 60s and the world started changing, and I started reading different kinds of philosophy and theosophy. And that's when I, I would say, broke out of that compressed, tight, system and really started finding I felt like they've always they were hiding something from me and even as a babysitter I would you know wasn't malevolent in any ways but I would go through people's drawers looking for some information because I felt like they weren't telling me the truth and so then you know when I got to be a teenager I left home when I was um, 18 I guess after my father my father choked uh, without having dinner and they saved his life. They Heimlicked him, but by the time they saved his life, it was like a, a stroke, basically. It cut off the oxygen to his brain. And so he lived like a vegetable for about five years, and that also really influenced my life. And I knew that if I stayed in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and lived that life, I would die. Like my soul would, like I couldn't breathe anymore. And so I put my thumb out and I started hitchhiking around the world and um, went to Europe, all across the United States and ended up in California and San Francisco and turned 21 there. Uh, took a massage class where basically everyone was naked. <laughs> and did a yoga class where my teacher was in a little, what those little, I don't even know what you call them. Like basically wearing a leaf. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. And everything in my world started opening up. And I feel like that's really where, again, I was my next section of seven. I turned 21, and I feel like in a way I, I want to say I died to what I was told was truth. And I kept the pearls from that and rebirthed myself. And it was really, really, really hard. Those were some very trying years of of um, detoxing and letting go of, of a foundation, not knowing what was going to replace it. But I always felt like there was almost like an angel on my right shoulder that just kept pushing me forward and just kept saying, just keep going, just keep going, you're going to find it. I remember my first Christmas, we were um, hitchhiking west and ran out of money in Prescott, Arizona, and had to get jobs. I was with a girlfriend and her boyfriend, and... Um, we didn't really have any money, and it was, again, Christmas, and we, we went and we cut this little tree that was 
like the Peanuts cartoon tree where there was like just a few branches and we strung cranberries and popcorn and, and stuck it in a bucket and the, tipped over and the popcorn got all drenched with water and it was the saddest. I was reading Anna Karenina and it was like the most depressing, you know, like, oh my God, this is so hard. But I feel like I just kept going and people and, and situations and divine guidance just propelled me along. What in, in those moments where it was really hard, what what did you do in that time? It, obviously, you kept going, but were there things that you remember at that moment? You know, when I look back, I have no idea how I got through it because I didn't have any of the tools that I have now. I mean, I did. I started doing yoga. Um, um, I, you know, met some friends. Again, I think you you have family, but I had no family west in the west here and created family with friends, found my people and uh, ended up down here in Santa Barbara where my life really took hold. I mean, I really put roots down and, and some of my dearest friends are the friends I met in my 20s when I came to, to Santa Barbara. And, um, but not all the tools that I use now, I just didn't know. No one told me. And I guess that's what propelled me forward. And I think now, and we've talked about this, is I wonder what it would be like to have um, right from, from kindergarten on to have a class called The Art of Living that just teaches you some of these things at these different ages that you can pull in to have your power, to make choice, to be able to interpret what the world is giving you, what kind of information, whether it's from your family or your school or politics or you know war or starvation, you know all of these kinds of things that are coming in so dramatically now with media that you can maybe discern from a young age how to perceive and respond to those things in a healthier manner. Uh, I And my clientele, I'd say a lot of what I end up working with is looking at habits, patterns people have established. Uh, I think we choose something, like say you even you're going to study, you might start drinking coffee just to keep you awake. You chose that coffee for a reason. And then you cross that line, and it's a very fine line between you choosing it and it choosing you. And now you have a habit. And sometimes those habits serve you. You know, I got up this morning at 4.30 and I go swim at 5. That habit totally serves me. I get out of the pool after swimming a couple miles, and I am always 100%. Even mornings when I don't want to get up, I just do it because I know that that habit, that ritual, um, that rhythm really, really serves me. So I just think if we can give tools to people throughout their life to help them choose good habits and good patterns that they don't end up then having to deal the rest of their life trying to break or be in relationship with, that that would, it would really help. So a lot of the, the patterns that we have are subconscious. We see as adults these cycles that we find ourselves in learning lesson over and over and over. But when you're working with clients, how do you help them discover what these patterns are? Because you kind of have to be aware of them to start to break them, right? You can't just go to someone to be healed. Yeah. It really has to come from that internal. Awareness is the key. Awareness is the key. It's almost like inflammation. You know, acute inflammation is appropriate. Say you're driving down the street and you hear some sirens. You know, you grip the steering wheel a little bit, your root chakra squeezes, you perch on the, your seat, and you're like, okay, what is it? Is, is it a fire? Is it a 
you know, should I pull over? What should I do? That's an appropriate inflammatory response of your entire being to potential danger. If you didn't get inflamed and you're just driving along like, oh, whatever, you know, that could not be a good thing. (laughs) The problem is with so much inflammation like that, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, or perhaps spiritual as well, we forget to come back out of that. And it then turns into chronic inflammation. And I think chronic inflammation is the key to disease. And disease often happens um, because of our maybe propensities towards certain things through our DNA or through our lineage, uh, mental and physical and emotional as well. And to really heal, you got to kind of come back out of chronic inflammation to acute inflammation. So when I sit with somebody, I ask a lot of questions. I want to know like the puzzle of their life. Where have they been? Where are they? Where do they want to go? Are we looking at the big picture of their life? Are we looking at the really, like a really specific area of their life? Because there are different tools that move in on all these different levels. And I think it's that old saying, if the only tool you have is a hammer, everything's going to look like a nail. So when I work with somebody, I want to look for the the most appropriate tools that are going to help bring the inflammation down, complete the inflammation, not suppress it, but complete it so it's finished. And uh, then someone can be really present. So looking at the puzzle and what is in the awareness at that moment? Is, Is it, again, an acute kind of an awareness or what's calling somebody's attention? Because you always have to deal with the most present thing first. And then you can go back through somebody's life and start looking at those crossroads that might have um, changed their path or their direction that you can't really change, but you can integrate it. So it's not like a wound that's continuing to call your attention, like a bleeding wound. You want that wound to scar up and say, wow, that's part of the what I went through in my life. That's part of the weaving of my life that, that has given me the facets of my life that make me interesting. And, uh, and instead of even having an expectation, I think in our Western world, especially our medical world, we have come to believe that a symptom should just go away. You know, you have a fever, you want it gone. You have diarrhea, you want it gone. Rash, go away. Rather than listening to how the body speaks and trying to help it finish, like that fever is there for a reason. It burns out infection. You know, diarrhea or rash, it's like something's getting pushed out of your body. It's not bad. We look at things as good and bad and and let's stop it. Rather than listening to how the body or the emotions and the mind is speaking and finding the tool that can help it again, complete so that you can be present and and move on and not be dragging the past along with you. Yeah. And I wanted to go back to what you said about suppressing versus sort of turning towards whatever's going on. And you just described it with the body, but with emotions, I see a lot that sometimes it can be really scary to turn towards it. And you kind of, especially in this spiritual world, it's very much about let's get to the light and the love and let's la 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 let's live in this beautiful high up place Mm -hmm. but to get there you have to go through this stuff because we have previous experiences and these things that are within us that we have to face Mm -hmm. and it can be really really challenging to turn towards those and and face them head on it can be easier to try to suppress them even though it doesn't ultimately seem to work so how do you help someone navigate that when there's a fear comes up? It's not just physical. I think that I believe that we're moving evolutionary wise from a survival 
of the fittest to a thriving. And I see in my world of, of years of practice with the kind of clientele I get, that we often have one foot in that world of survival and we're stepping into thriving. And those are very different ways of experiencing life. Um, it's like looking at something as, as being a selfish choice rather than a self-loving choice and really trying to discern between that. I think uh, we have no power, we lose our power when we continue to be in a state of inflammation. And if we can find the tools, whether there are a lot of tools that I use, like homeopathics, flower essences, acupuncture, the daily practice, every day, almost every day, I try to lay on my table and put the eye pillow on and I breathe. And I think the breath, really, I think the breath is really one of the keys to life. It's the first thing that you do when you're born. It's the last thing you do before you die. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to go anywhere to have it. Simply learning breathing exercises can be one of the first things that you can do, whether you call it meditation or anything like that. Learning how to do diaphragm breathing is one of the first things I, I try to help my clients with. And then look at what tools we can, we can use to be present, to come out of that chronic inflammation, because you can't control anything in the outside world. You can't control what's in the paper or how somebody looks at you, you know, on the street or flips you off on the freeway. You know, you can't control any of that. But your power lies in how you perceive and how you respond to it. And that means being present. And that means becoming aware. And so when I first start working with somebody, it's like, what's in your awareness? Because that's what's calling your attention. And then, again, peeling that away and, and looking, is that, a, is that a habit or a pattern? Is that a belief system that you've made an investment in, like I did when I was little, that might not serve you anymore? Sometimes it's like financial stuff. You need to reallocate your portfolio. You need to look at what's working, what's not, and see what kind of changes you can make. And the other thing that I really notice is that you can't make too many changes at once. You know, as you're younger, you know, as a baby is born, it's breathing and it's taking in so much life. It's like you go out there like when I was traveling around the world. I wanted, I, give me experience. I needed information. I needed something to be able to digest and find what's valuable and nourishing and then eliminate the waste. As one gets older, you take in less life. You've got, you've, you've figured out what works, you know, um, not that you're not curious or surprised by things, but you're going to be more discerning than when you're younger. So I would say learning some of those daily practices, whatever that is for each person, and really committing to that, like like a, a, taking a path through a jungle. You know, if you practice it every day, that path is going to be worn, yeah. and when you need it, You'll be, able to, you'll be able to, to, to use it. And I remember, when I, remember in, when I tried to first start meditating, I had a teacher, and she said, um, I said, I can't do it. I've stared at walls, at candles. I put white sheets on the wall. I chanted. Nothing worked. I could not quiet my mind. My mind was going crazy, like most people's minds. We call it that monkey mind. The mind's trying to take care of you, but it doesn't want to be told what to do. But it does like experiments. So if you give the mind an experiment, like say for the next two weeks, we're going to try to change a habit or start a new practice. Maybe I'm going to sit down and I'm going to breathe for five minutes every day. And after a while, the mind will start going, okay, 
well, maybe we can do this now. And then it starts to cooperate with you. And instead of you serving your mind, your mind is serving you. Does that make sense? Well, it's it, there. It, it's, it's there. So I remember when you were riding horses, and I remember her, your trainer Wendy, when you were on your horse Harry Potter, who was a wild, very athletic, crazy kind of horse. <laughs> and as you were jumping higher and higher, if you went over a jump, he would just go crazy. And she said, "What you need to do is you need to direct him to the next jump so that he knows exactly where he's going." And and that's the way to train the mind. You don't want to you don't want to break its spirit. But you want to train it so it knows what its parameters are. Yeah, yeah, you can't, it just seems like you can't just tell it to stop. The mind isn't going to just shut off. You have to kind of, okay, we're going to go this way now. How about this way? And make it sort of fun too so it can be, it's not feeling like squashed. Exactly, like I did when I was young. Yeah. It was very, very compressed. And I don't don't want to be controlled, but we do need to, we do need to direct the mind, especially at this time of history where there's so much information coming from everywhere, so much stimulation. Uh, As you know, I lead in January, this recalibration kind of retreat is what I've called it, which I've been doing for years. And it's a way of moving into the yin and being very uh, quiet and resting one's soul. And I think it's a way to look at how, how we're living our lives and, and, again, taking into the new year what is valuable and, and letting go of what isn't. And in order to discern between those things, you need to be quiet. So- well, yeah, I did, I did that almost three years ago now for the first time, and it was the first kind of the first moment I remember that I was able to start hearing my own voice, Mm -hmm. my own wisdom. And it seems like we really do need that stillness and the quiet, which is such a beautiful time of this time of year, is that it's offering a lot of kind of darker, stiller, quiet moments. But how do you, after you find that stillness, how do you start to navigate hearing your own wisdom with all of these other things coming at us all the time this technology and other people's thoughts and voices like how do we start to cultivate that from within when you're when you're seeking it I mean of course we all are on our own paths and timing but I think I think having a daily practice is really really crucial no matter what age you're at because has has your daily practice shifted over the years or have you stuck with something for a long time well I I when, okay, when I first, when I tried to meditate, I couldn't. I, we called it meditation. You could call it whatever you want. And my teacher said, what I want you to do is I want you to go to the same place every day at the same time, and I want you to breathe for the same amount of time. Set a, you know, we didn't have cell phones then, <laughs> so set, a, set an alarm, and I want you just to breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth and count one two three and when you get to ten just start over one to ten for as long as you're going to you're going to commit to and every time a thought comes in your mind go back to one and so I thought okay I'm gonna I'm gonna try it and so I sat on a pillow against the wall 15 minutes every morning at six and I sat there one 
one, one, <laughs> one, over and over. And I thought, oh, it's never going to happen. And one day I was at three. I'm like, oh my God, I'm at three. And, and, and then you go back to one. Because and I went got- <laughs> back to one. And then it was like my mind finally just said, okay, you win. And I was breathing to 10. And it was truly ecstasy. And I went from 15 minutes to an hour. It was I was just... I would call it like floating in the divine. It was, there was no thoughts and it was just absolute peace. And I did that for years until I had you. And once I birthed you, I felt like I couldn't do that anymore. Like I couldn't go away. And so I I didn't, I stopped. And then when you were three, one of my friends uh, told me she was going to Bali. And right when she said that, I thought it was kind of these voices come and tell me and said, like the one that said, just keep going. This voice said, you need to go to Bali. And I just went, oh my God, I've got to go to Bali. And can I come? And she goes, sure. And I came home and asked your dad. I said, I, I need to go to Bali, you know, with my friend Melanie. Can you take care of Hannah? And he goes, sure. So I went to Bali for three weeks and we went to see a psychic priest and, uh, he basically did readings on all of us. He was a Hindu, Hindu priest. And when he got to me, he said, uh, you know, you do beautiful work. He smiled. He was chain smoking a cigarette and smiled. And then he got really serious and he just looked me in the eye and he said, but you need to meditate. And I went, okay, probably true. Well, by the time we got back to Ubud, where we were, we were at the North Shore. um, We were staying in Ubud. um, Something had happened to my hip and I couldn't walk. And I spent three weeks basically horizontal in Bali just breathing and the first many days it was just breathing through the pain I never experienced pain like that in my life and all I could do was breathe through the pain and after a few days if I didn't move there was no pain so I went I just laid by the the lotus pond and I breathed for three weeks and I would say guides came and gave me a new meditation of breathing energy running running my breath through my body through the meridians basically and I still do that to this day so the 26 years I've been doing this that same meditation so for about an hour every day I breathe and and then when I get really still I'll get down to sometimes a breath a minute I get so still and I'll breathe that I'll I'll use my visual to use my breath to breathe it through my body and wherever I feel a stuckness, I use my breath to kind of push the energy through. And I can feel now, after all these years, when everything's just flowing. And then I just lay there and breathe. So that's your your daily practice. You really do this, you call it the Bali meditation. The Bali meditation, yeah. And, and I swim, you know, you know, I swim and I do yoga and those things are crucial to, to me. And I think in being able to sit in my work with, with people. And then you said when you had me, so when you became a, a mom, things got more challenging to give your attention to yourself because you had this yeah. baby that you felt like you needed to be caring for, yeah. obviously. Yeah. And I don't have kids, but it, I can imagine that that is very common yeah. when women have children and so looking back and with your clients how how do you discern making time for yourself because the self is essential to be able to nurture someone else and yet you have a baby Mm -hmm. and how do you 
It's a very, it's very challenging. <laughs> and it is it's that, it's that line between selfish and self-loving. But what I believe is that the, the mother, the woman, is the hub of the family. Everybody goes off of her. So the better she is, the better everybody's going to be. Instead of, you know, what they say, put the, put the oxygen mask on yourself first. Uh, and, and when you were young, uh, I had a, we had a neighborhood of, of um, well, you know, we had a neighborhood of families who were very close, especially as women. And we, we nursed each other's babies. You know, we took care of each other's kids. So we had a really beautiful support group. In the morning, three of us would go and swim at six in the morning. And uh, the, the dads would stay home and take care, of the, take care of the kids until we got home and then they went off to work. So we just had to find ways to do that. You know, we'd have a happy hour at five o'clock. We'd all get together and, you know, open a bottle of wine and make dinner together and the kids would play together. Uh, I think uh, living in our little nuclear family houses does not serve, serve us well at all. And I also think that keeping kids so busy is is unrealistic as well um so as far as being the the mother of the family i mean the father is the same thing you you need alone time you need time with your family and you need time with your friends and you just have to make a commitment to it and and again discern for yourself what is self-loving and what could be selfish i've never felt Real, like real selfish myself so I'm, I'm not quite sure I've, I've got other things <laughs> um, it's hard I, I don't quite know what that would mean um, but I feel like I've I want to say mastered self-care over the years and now self-care is like one of those phrases like oh self-care and you, you need to I guess figure out what that again living from the inside out rather than the outside in it's not an outside authority figure saying you need to go get a facial and you need to you know a bubble bath and yeah then. it's it's like what feels what moves you um and and that's why I, again i i love working with people and getting them still on my table maybe doing acupuncture just so that they can rest their soul finding flower essences that can help harmonize, you know, what they're feeling in their heart and what they're thinking in their mind. Because so often when that is, doesn't connect, then the body will follow that too. And then the body will start exhibiting symptoms, whether, whatever system it is. When, when you're just talking, you start, you just started um, moving your hands when you talked about getting excited. So that, like that to me is like, you're living your purpose when you're, yeah when you feel that. And it feels like a lot of people are seeking their purpose or their how to find a passion or how to make their passion their purpose. So how, how can we sort of follow that when we feel the call towards something, but practically or logically in our minds, it's not what we have been um, told or trained, mm-hmm. even though we know something deep inside is pulling us towards that. I think it takes virtue. Yeah, it takes virtue, it takes courage, it takes patience, it takes compassion and and forgiveness. And again, I think what we choose to fill our our daily life with is going to influence the quality of those kinds of experiences. Well, then the in-between space steps in when you have that the moment of of stillness to, to really hear. Yes, the in-between space to me is the most incredible 
incredible, incredible thing. And I was thinking of it this morning when I was swimming. I was butterflying across the pool. And when I was in, so when we breathe, you know, we breathe in. And, and how I try to breathe is I take a breath in, and instead of letting my shoulders go up, I try to take let my diaphragm go down and my body open, my whole torso, my chest open like a wine barrel, all the way in the front and the back and the sides. And then I suspend where I just kind of hold it right at the top, and then exhale, and then I pause. And in that pause, I try to let everything really, really relax. So I tried that when I was swimming. I've been practicing this. And when I'm in the suspension, I can feel every muscle in my body. I can feel, especially if I'm feeling my core and I'm like, my legs are moving. And, but when I'm breathing, like when I'm actually in the exhale or the inhale, you don't feel it as much. It's in the in-between space where you really, really can feel what, what that feels like. And that's, to me, again, where the insight is. That's when you know what to do. That's when you're talking about, you know, I talk a lot with my hands anyway, but when my cells jump up and down, I mention it like like uh, fine champagne bubbles. You know, it's like, ah, it's that's exciting. a yes. It's- that's a radiant yes, as yeah. Janet says. It's a radiant yes. And when the cells are flat, like you leave that that champagne out on the table for a few days and there's no bubbles that's a no to me and that's how I make a lot of choices now if if my cells jump up and down it's like okay there's something there there's something you know it it can that that makes me curious it's I want to know it's like oh let me let me check that out and if they're just flat it's like no I don't think I'm going to do that well and I think that's part of what you're talking about stepping from survival survival is this is what I have to do to live, or this is what I've been taught, or what I've been told. And thriving is following that right. that joy and that excitement to what really moves you and what yeah. feels exciting. And and then you sort of are able to navigate, well, how can I live from this place by continuing to make that choice to follow it over and over, which is challenging sometimes. Well, and I think it, it really, you start to discern and discriminate between what is going to help you do that and what doesn't. Whether it's people in your life, sometimes you've got to like let go of things to make room for something else. Like sometimes one door has to sh- close before another opens. And then you're sitting in the in-between space until mm-hmm. the door opens. <laughs> sometimes things fall apart before they come together. Uh, I'd say my greatest, as I think of... of, of I'm, I've always been, like I mentioned, a very spiritual person and had an investment in religion for a long time. And now I'd say my religion or my what I believe in is that divine choreography. That's those synchronicities that come in life because once you start paying attention, they show up. People show up and, and once you get into the practice again of letting go of something that doesn't work, something else will come and it'll pique your curiosity or your interest. It'll move you. Your cells will jump up and down and you'll think, well, okay, let, let, me, see, let me see what this is all about. But I think we do need to start being discriminative. Um, and especially, you know, when you look at a lineage, family patterns, um, I feel incredibly grateful that I have been born in this country, in this life. As hard as my passages have been, there have been some very, very tight passages. But I have the opportunity to not just survive. 
and to thrive. Many people are don't, you know, people around the world, there there's still people who are, you know, they don't have food and shelter and safety and people to love them and um we can we can hold the space for them, we can send energy, we can send money, we can do what we're moved to do to help. And yet I still believe that our greatest responsibility is ourselves. It's our own soul's evolution. And I don't believe, I, I believe that old system, again, the religious system that I grew up in of martyrdom and sacrifice, I think that's an old paradigm. I don't think it's, it's, it's there to serve us in the world of thriving. I, and, and that's the hard thing to, to let go of sometimes for people, especially because of family or people around them that keep reiterating that same kind of message or behavior pattern. They feel sort of a responsibility or a guilt to honoring yeah. this thing that has been in their life or their past that has helped them get to where they are. You don't, and it doesn't have to be mean. It's not, and it's not personal. It's just, I'm going to choose what's best for me so that I can move forward. And I want you to choose what's best for you. Exactly. And maybe we can meet in the middle and maybe we go our separate ways. Right. And that's the investments. You know, I mean, I really think we, it's like we need to reallocate those every once in a while. You can't live with the same investments your whole life. I don't think that, I don't think it works. I mean, I don't see it working at all. And I think different ages, again, as I mentioned, growing these seven or eight year cycles, yeah, I got, I birthed myself at 21. I had you, I got married at 28. I had you at 35. My husband, your dad died at 42. I look at all these seven-year cycles and they've been incredibly uh, profound crossroads where I had choices as to how I was going to perceive and respond to them. And I feel like, again, those practices that I've, that I've stayed with keep me close to myself. I don't go way off the path anymore. I still, you know, we all go through stuff. We're here, you know, there's a lot of opportunities to learn and grow and, but I don't go too far off anymore. And I think at these different ages in life, I mean, where I am compared to where you are or, you know, a child, I mean, all, we have different opportunities, I guess it is. And for someone who has uh, children or for me, when I have children, what, how are some ways that we can incorporate this conscious way of living into our children's lives without pushing something on them? Because then we're kind of going back to that, not the, necessarily the religious paradigm, but we're going back to that outside authority figure. How can we cultivate some of this curiosity and this openness for children or younger teens to start to discover this internal wisdom at an earlier age so that they don't get to 25, 35, 50, and go through some sort of crisis that has to be this big awakening. They can, they can kind of have that internal knowing in some capacity as they grow up. Well, I would say I, I, I don't take advice well, and I don't give advice. I don't like to be told what to do. You tell me what to do, and I typically would do the opposite. I think I inherited that from you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, but I do remember when you were little, somebody said to me, um, you can give your, your daughter like the best education, music lessons, dance lessons. You can take her here. You can buy her this. You know, it really doesn't matter. The most important thing you can do for her is deal with your own shit. Because if you don't, she will. 
And that's a lot of what I see in my practice. I, I don't want to make judgment, but the people that I tend to work with tend to be people who are more conscious. And a lot of what they're dealing with is letting go of, of again, old belief systems or ways of living that did serve somebody that has been, I would say, like a baton given to them. And it, they don't want it. It's like a baton on fire. They're like, I don't. I'm giving it back. <laughs> and and what do you you know again that what do you what do you do with that? And I think that there are a lot of tools. Again, like flower essences are beautiful ways of 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 fostering virtue. If you're going into a situation where you need patience, you might take an essence that helps build patience. You don't have to be broken. In in fact, when the, when somebody comes to me, I never sit and think, what's wrong with them. How can we fix them? It just doesn't even cross my mind. It's more, look at how your being is speaking. You know, let's, isn't that interesting? Again, rather than an expectation or disappointment or um, this is the way it is, this is always going to be the way it is. It's more like, wow, isn't this interesting? Hmm, what what does it mean? How can we finish that? And sometimes, again, it's like just being quiet. Sometimes it's taking action. Some people procrastinate. They just keep like doing the same thing over and over and they need a little fiery essence like cayenne or something like that. So to me, it's finding those tools that can help you in the moment discern what the best choices are in your life. It sounds that sounds esoteric, I know, but if well, you it's really... it's coming into that awareness of what's, what's really current. It's not, okay, this is... This happened to me before. This is what I want. It's like, what is, what's happening right now? And focusing on that. And then you can start, like you said before, peel back and start to discover some of the, maybe the deeper things. But to start, it's really becoming aware of what, it is. What's, what is my soul saying? What is my body saying? What is my mind saying right now? And what does it need so that I can go and that's deeper. what we talk about now. Being, I mean, my, again, mindfulness, it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. But again, sometimes somebody doesn't know, again, what, what that means. Journaling, writing, you know, the, the morning pages, you know, every day. That's just, how I got started was the morning pages. Yeah, just, just writing and, and, and being aware and letting things come. And even when they're uncomfortable, having somewhere to put it, having someone to talk to, whether it's, again, therapy or a friend or... Uh, a, a, again, a book. There's so many. There's it, it's, this is interesting too because I remember I was saying there's so many books out there, so many self help books. And when your dad was dying, and I remember thinking, I don't know how to grieve. Like I, I don't know, I don't know what to do. And uh, as a little girl too, I mean, I would look at myself in the mirror, and I would see these tears behind my eyes. That was after. I made my first communion (laughs) and my whole life I used to see those tears behind my eyes and I would just I would just my first experience with homeopathy was taking Jesus's cross off my shoulders and weeping and weeping and weeping and realizing I didn't have to carry the weight of the world so this voice came to me and it it said "Um, there's a book and I was like a book okay so I went to Chaucer's and I went to the section on grief and I looked through the books, and I was pretty cynical at that point. Like, stupid, stupid, stupid. <laughs> Left without the book. Three times I went to the bookstore looking for a book on how to grieve, and I couldn't find it. And um, in, 
in my office, I'd had this little box of quotes that I had bought at one point. And one day I was going through them, you know, Shakespeare, all these wise people, um, <laughs> stupid, stupid. I'm throwing them all away until I got to one card that said, things have to fall apart before they come together. And I thought, hmm, that's really interesting. Something about that, like my cells jumped up and down. I was like, okay. And everybody who came in that week, it seemed like that card was appropriate. So I'd lift it up and I'd say, well, you know, things have to fall apart before they come together. And then my midwife friend, Anna Bunting, called and she said, oh, I need to come in for a tune-up. And I, I said, or she, I need to come in. And I said, why? And she goes, oh, I just need to come in for a tune-up or something. Been years, you know, and I thought, okay. So she came in and she was talking. And of course, what she said related to the card. And I lifted up the card and I said, well, you know, <laughs> she goes, that's so funny. You would show me that. She goes, I just got a book. And she opens her purse and she pulls out this book. Things, things, fall, I say things fall apart. Hard advice for grieving times. When, when things fall apart, hard, hard advice for grieving times by Pima Children. And I looked at it and I just started weeping. And I thought, there's my book. It wasn't for me to go find that book. My midwife brought me that book. And I think we midwife each other in many, many different ways and many times. And we don't have to be a, a midwife to do that. But that's what friends do for each other too. And those, those are those synchronicities that show up that I think, okay, this is divine choreography at its best. That's, that is what I really, I really, really believe in. I've had too many of those synchronicities, meaningful coincidences, even sometimes unmeaningful coincidences that that I, I can't help but believe that there's something bigger. Well, they're just sort of, the, even the unmeaningful ones, they're just, rem, to me, they're like little winks. They're just, mm -hmm. are you still paying attention yeah. so that you can be aware when the meaningful ones yeah. I'm on, show I'm up. on the path. I'm on my path. Everything's going to be okay. Yeah, and I think again in our in our world too, we think that dying is like we failed or something. And the same thing, you can heal and you can die. You know, dying is it's just another it's another transition. Another I mean, thing. I I hope that I get to live a long time, and uh, but I don't think that 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 it's not good or bad or right or wrong. I think there's so much in between those kinds of yin and yang as well uh, that can help us along and then going back to the grief you obviously in your practice you help people through a lot of different emotions grief challenges but as um as a society we're sort of uncomfortable with Ooh, grief yeah. or anything really that that doesn't make us feel good on in quotes and we just want to fix things yeah. and i think there's i i know that there's power in just being able to witness and hold the space with someone without trying to change anything yeah. like not making the feelings wrong or bad or being uncomfortable with them just yeah. just being there mm -hmm. and how do you see that shifting well, because it is it is challenging i i see a lot in my practice um that dance between grief and anger mm -hmm. and in chinese medicine it makes a lot of sense i won't go into all of that now but um, anger is a very powerful emotion. You know, you get really pissed, like, Ugh! and and if that moves appropriately, if you express your anger appropriately, it will go 
into grief. The liver transforms into the lungs and the lungs are the seat of grief. And grief isn't a real powerful emotion. You don't feel powerful when you're grieving, but you feel way better after. You yeah. know, there's movement. <laughs> Things are like there's a, uh, you can like take a breath. There's, again. there's, um, there's um, space. And I do remember sitting after getting that book and reading it. I, I have no recollection the first time I read it of what she even said, but I have read it quite a few times since. But I remember sitting in a chair by the front door of my house and saying out loud, I don't think I can, I don't think I can hold it anymore. And the voice came and it said, then let it go. And I thought, if I let it go, if I really let it go, there is so much sadness in the world. I might never stop. What if, what if I start and I will never stop? And, and, but I couldn't hold it anymore. It was like a tsunami. And that's actually how I've experienced grief. It literally was like a tsunami. I was lost in the, in the wave, like a upside down, just like totally drowning let it go and like the sets of waves in the ocean after the tsunami came there was this peace that was beyond understanding and then the next set came oh my god here's another one but it wasn't quite as intense and then there was more peace in between and I'd have to say that's what grieving has been like to me over the years I look at myself now in the mirror and I don't see those tears behind my eyes and not that I don't ever feel sad, but I think I had a backup <laughs> build up. Um, it's like this opened of, the floodgate to all yeah. of this stuff coming out, but it wasn't just this one experience. It was, and, it, and it wasn't just personal. I mean, yeah. it was definitely personal. It was lineage. It was the religious system. You know, I mean, there other was a, people's a stuff lot there. And um, but I, and that's what I'll, I'll share with people is you know it will come. You will be sad and you will be lost in it, and then there will be peace and there will be more space in between. And so for someone who is maybe starting this path, they're feeling a call to, for something, but they don't know exactly what, what do you have three sort of simple things that we talked a little bit about awareness and breath, but if there are just three starting places, what would you say to someone? The first thing I'd say is breathe, breathe. There's, you can go online, there's um, apps on the phone, just learning how to breathe and consciously breathing every single day for a certain amount of time. Five minutes, it doesn't matter. The next thing I would say is get a piece of paper or a journal or a book and and write down things you, you are aware about yourself, your belief systems, um, your investments, um, your habits, your patterns, people in your life, and, and look at it as pieces to a puzzle. And, and then you can start without judgment, more just like here's some information. And then once you have that, then you can start kind of looking through and saying, again, am I self jumping up and down when I'm with this person? Or no, is that a should? You know, I threw that word off our property word. when your dad died. I was like, no more shoulds. Shoulds come again with, with expectation and blame and shame and you could. <laughs> um, so those would be the first two things I would say is breathe, gather some information and start to discriminate and find, find your, I would say, find your people, find what makes your cells jump up and down because that's what's going to give you the information as to whether you're going to step forward into something 
or it's not the right thing for you. And again, in terms of yin and yang, it's why I love the breath too, is there, there's times when we need to take action and assert and step forward. It's like the gate opens outward and you're going to walk out. And then sometimes the gate opens inward and it's time to step back and be quiet and again, be yin. And our culture is so invested in, in the yang in what we do, where are you going, what are you doing, what do you do for a living, blah, blah, blah. And how often all does the somebody... do, 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 go, go, go. How often does somebody say, how is your being? And again, that goes back to the children, teaching them how to, they're doing it in schools now, they're seeing amazing results, teaching kids how to, to get still, do a little meditation or breathing or doing a little yoga. So I guess... I just saw on uh, Facebook yesterday this... Um guy I follow who does conscious parenting workshops uh, he I guess he volunteers at a school um, somewhere I think in Africa and he created this chart when the kids enter in the morning the teacher greets them and there's like four or five choices and their um, drawings for how they want to be greeted so instead of just coming in and sitting down or being said hi they can and all they have to do is point how they want to be greeted it's do you want a hug do you want a high five do you want nothing? Do you want a fist pump? And to watch these kids, they they filmed it, watching these kids go in the yeah. door, one after the other, and they're all choosing something different. Yeah. And it was sort of eye-opening, like, wow, we really all do need, we need we all need something totally different, and we need something different every day. Yeah. And so to, to be aware of that within ourselves so that we can offer it to yeah. other people instead of just assuming yeah. this is how we're supposed to live. Well, and I think the way I, I raised you or the way you were raised was I gave you a lot of choices because I felt like the, one of the most important things I could do as a mother is help you be able to be in the world and make the best choices you could for each other. And yet I think when I see families with numerous children, each of them might need to be parented in a little different way. You always made good choices. I, I never, ever had to think about that. That was just, but there are some other, you know, family situations where that, that wouldn't work. So I think as parents too, you need to look at each child. And again, we need to look at food. I mean, that's like, a, we haven't even talked about that, but that's a huge thing. You know, you need to be able to have uh, digest what you take in on any level. Again, the food, it needs to be right for your body. You need to be able to assimilate the nutrients, discern what's nutritional and nourishing and eliminate the waste physically, emotionally, mentally. And I guess that would be another thing I would add on is to be really discriminative as to what you're taking into your consciousness. You know, what are you spending your, your daytime um, looking at or reading Receiving. or listening to? or uh, Because that's, you've got to digest that. I can't, I can't look at, I've never watched the news. I cannot visually digest it. So I just don't do that. I just know that I can't. Sometimes you don't know that until you experiment with it. Yeah, does it make you feel replenished after or does it make you feel anxious and well and I was talking to another friend um, about you know what our role is on the earth she was protesting something and I said you know I'm 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 not a protester I'm not a fighter cell I'm a lover cell and so if I think of our earth as a being and I'm just a cell on the earth maybe in the left elbow of the earth (laughs) 
I'm going to be the best local lover cell that I can be in that left elbow of the earth because everybody then, everything around me is going to be better because of that. I'm not a systemic cell. I'm not going down to the feet of the earth. I'm not a fighter cell. I'm not an immune cell that's going out there fighting. I'm a lover cell. And that took me a long time to, I'd say, be comfortable with and not feel like I should be going out there and and fighting or, or doing something to help the world. I feel like when I lay on my table with that eye pillow on my eyes and I pray and uh, that's the best thing I can do for myself and for the earth. Yeah, agreed. Um, so if you have, you have one mantra or some inspiring phrase that you echo to yourself or that you share with other people. Every year when I do the recalibration, I have a, a lens that I will look at through the whole year. Uh, leading with kindness, being curious instead of that expectation disappointment, which was the theme of my life, learning how to be interdependent, how to cooperate. Well, this year, what I'm seeing is the phrase that keeps coming is, guide me, please, and show me the way. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not quite sure um, what is next at this age in my life, at this time, And I don't want to rush into anything. I don't want to just do something to do it. And so I would say, as you're talking about the in-between space, I mean, I I love my work and I love my daily practice, but I'm not sure what the next thing is. And so I'm just sitting in front of the fire, reading a book, cup of tea, saying, you know what? Guide me, please, and show me the way. I love that. Well, so we are out of time here, but where can people find you if they want to... Uh, connect with you or work with you you do work remotely with you have a lot of clients in person of course but you do work with people all over the world so how can how can people who are listening find you well i have a website <laughs> lauriechilds.com l a u r i e c c h i l d s.com and you can look at me and you can, uh, read a little She's bit very beautiful. about well thank you annie about uh, how I work and you can find that contact information on the website amazing well thank you so much for (laughs) joining me I feel like we probably will have a part two and three and ten at some point because we have a lot to talk about and you have a lot of wisdom to share well I absolutely adore you thank Thank, you (laughs) thank you so much for listening we'll see you next time bye thank you for tuning in to today's episode of divinity unbridled If you are enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and we'll see you next time.